So we talked about how this afternoon we'd be talking about more um, how the um, the uh, how marriage is a an allegory of the relationship that we have with Jesus, and we see that more detailed in Ephesians chapter five. If you want to turn there together, we'll be there for the majority of the afternoon. <coughs> And he actually starts talking about a church in a similar manner, which I'm not going to... Yeah, Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to start in verse 21, in this, you know, previous to verse 22, he's talking to the church. He's talking about the church and how the church is supposed to cooperate together. And in verse 21, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. <clears throat> so you see the word submit. We don't like the word Submit. Um, a lot of people have abused the word submit. <clears throat> How in the world is it that a church body is supposed to submit to one another in the fear of God? What does that sound like to you? I mean, if we're submitting to one another, that doesn't really show leadership, does it? Because if the leaders have to submit to, you know the rest of the people, and the rest of the people submit to the leaders. Well, I thought leadership was, a leader was somebody that people submitted to. A leader doesn't submit to the other people, right? Well, how is it that it says submitting to one another in the fear of God? That Jesus was a servant. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. Yeah. But I thought, I don't know if anybody else read or saw the Arbor Bush but something that was brought up and I thought that's a great way to put it it's not about the big me mm -hmm. yeah so for each one of us it's not about me yeah it's not about you we don't come you know whether you're a leader or not a leader it's not about you it's not about your thought you know the, the big picture is not your prerogative right that's why it says in the fear of God the church is here to fulfill God's prerogative <clears throat> So submit, what does submit even mean? Put yourself under. Put yourself under. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a you know that's a literal a literal literal translation of the word. To put yourself under. Sub, like submarine. You know, I don't know why they called it a submarine sandwich, but <laughs> but <laughs> it's under the bread. It's under the bread. <laughs> you know, but sub means yeah, below or beneath. Sub is a prefix that means under. Right. right. You know, so you're you're putting yourself under, not even you know under authority, not even necessarily under authority, because it says we're supposed to submit to each other, not necessarily just to authority figures. We're supposed to submit to each other in the fear of God. I mean, there's you know whether you're a leader here or not, we are all subordinate to God, are we not? Nobody is, I mean, we're, Paul makes the case many, many times, we are all equal in Christ. Whether you happen to be in a managerial position or not, we're all equal in Christ. When we submit to each other, I mean, this goes back to the discussion from this morning, where you are laying aside your will for the good of another person. You're laying aside your will and receiving the will of another person. <clears throat> um... And like I said, this is something that is done by a person willfully. 
This is not something that you beat into somebody. You don't beat somebody into true submission. Submission is something that a person does with their will, not just with their hands. You can beat somebody into submission and make them do what you want them to do, but that doesn't mean they're actually submitting their will to your will. That's, that's slavery when you do that's that. That's right. Yeah, that's slavery. <clears throat> and that's how a lot of families work, unfortunately, where you know the wife feels like she has to submit herself into the fear of her husband because if she doesn't, then the, then it's just it's not going to turn out well. The husband's going to abuse her or um, not love her or whatever. And that's that's a wrong means of carrying out this concept of submission. <clears throat> and just taking that, we're not going to be talking about the church per se, but like I said, the allegory of marriage is supposed to talk about Jesus Christ. And he says, just to put the just to put the cart before the horse, so to speak. This is verse 32 in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this whole discussion about marriage, it's an image of how Christ and his church interact. Christ submitted himself to the needs of the church, even though he's God, full of glory and grace. But because he loves the church, he, su- he submitted his body for her good. You know, so keep that in mind as we look here at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. And this is, you know, let me just include verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So this is a grouping of verses that is not a very popular grouping in today's society. We don't we like to hear about oneness and we're all equal. And um, this passage that says, "Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body." Now, unfortunately, in our human state, you know, a lot of the a lot of the um, react the negative reaction to this word submit is because people take advantage of submission. Husbands historically have not been very loving to their wife with you know a submissive wife. you know they take advantage of it. they use her for their good. And I mean you, you see it you've seen it in manage, in management. You, perhaps some of you have had a boss who just because they're the boss think that they can just lord it over you. And make you do whatever they want. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what's good for you. You do what they want because they're the boss. And unfortunately, a lot of us husbands have acted like that. Hey, I'm the husband. God says you're supposed to submit to me. Therefore, do what I want. Regardless of what it means for you. But we see the juxtaposition, or not necessarily the juxtaposition, but just the, the comparison in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. See, our love is not supposed to just mean, yeah, I love you, honey. I told you that on our wedding day. Now do what I want. You know, love is like Christ loved, and he gave himself for her. So that, why? He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. You know, so unfortunately, 
the feminist movement of the day doesn't want to say submit to your husbands because culture has put forth a very bad perspective of submission. It's a perspective that says, you know, you're just supposed to do what he says. You don't have a voice. You don't have anything like that. Whereas, according to Scripture, I mean, it's in, chapter, in verse 25, it's, it, it looks like to me an even bigger burden on the man. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Our love is not supposed to take advantage of submission. Our love is supposed to give our wives reason to willfully and gladly submit. The way we love our wives and serve our wives should be giving our wives gladness, glad-heartedness, eagerness to follow our lead. Because, I mean, God sets us up as shepherds of our flock, so to speak. You know, pastors are not the only shepherds. I mean, husband is a, an agricultural term. Also, we are supposed to be acting in a, as husbands, acting in a way that causes our wife to flourish. But unfortunately, we act in a way that causes our wife to, to uh, what's the opposite? What's the, I can't think of the word. To the opposite of flourishing is wilt, wilt, <laughs> wilt dying. You know, a lot of our a lot of our households produce more wilting than flourishing, simply because. We don't understand what submission is. We are supposed to be setting our will aside, not even setting it aside so that we don't have a will, but our will should be for the good of somebody else. Wives, because of how God has set up the family, that results in submitting to the headship of the of the. Uh, of the husband, husband that results in the everything that you do in that household is so that your household can flourish. Not just so that household can just do what you want it to do. We're supposed to take our leadership of love and pro- produce an atmosphere of flourishing. Not just an atmosphere where everybody heeds to your beck and call. Just as the church is subject to Christ, See, allegorical of the church to Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Not because they are inferior. You know, Christ made himself nothing. He submitted himself to us. What? Oh, I thought you had a comment. Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he submitted his body to our need so that we could have eternal life. And life-giving is what flourishing is. So that we could flourish, so that we could, you know, like there's a, a lily over there in, the, in that room over there that I need to throw in the trash. It used to be beautiful. It had color, it had life, it looked healthy, but now it's wilted. <laughs> it's, losing, it's lost its color, it's lost, it's lost, it has lost its life, it is dying. You know, and what does our household look like? Does our household look like Christ wants his ch- Did Christ come, sacrifice himself so that the church could just kind of flounder around and wilt? No, he came to give life, abundant life. And as husbands, we are to create households of abundancy. 
not necessarily financially, but spiritually. In this house, there should be the joy of Christ evident. Not forced, because you can't force that. (laughs) You can't force a will. You can't force joy. No, we're supposed to, with our love, produce an atmosphere of flourishing. And like I said, look at this husband section again. That so that why? So that he might sanctify her, cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. I mean, we want that for ourselves. And we're supposed to treat our wives in a similar regard. But unfortunately, you know, I wrote down some statistics here. Rather than that, you know, 40 to 50% of marriages die. They end in divorce. 40 to 50% in this day. And that doesn't even take into account all the broken relationships that never resulted in marriage. Yeah, that's just the married people breaking. I mean, there are countless more that never got married but experienced tragic brokenness. And 50% of marriages is already a staggering number. More and fewer and fewer people are even getting married. 72% in the 60s, down to 50% today. In the 60s, 72% of people were getting married. Now only 50% of people are getting married. And I also looked up some statistics about why these relationships are breaking. 73% of divorces end because they just, there was no commitment. 50, you know, 56, these are going to all result in more than 100% because a lot of marriages have multiple reasons for divorcing. 56% because they were just arguing too much. 55% infidelity. 25% abuse. 46% of people claim that they were just too young. You know, so no commitment. They didn't want to give up their will and submit it to the good of the other person. They were committed to each other. I mean, they were committed to themselves. The, end of it, the husband was committed to himself and his wants, his desires. The wife was committed to herself, her wants, her desires, which results in no commitment. That's 73% of people that find themselves in a divorce. 56% of the people arguing, arguing, coming against each other, against each other, rather than for each other. Why? Because we reserve our own will for ourselves, for the good of ourselves. Not for the good, we don't give it for the good of the other person. Infidelity, same, same situation. You walked according to the lust of your desire. Your will wanted that. Not, it was not for the good of your spouse. Abuse, same thing. Abuse, it's all about me. Me imposing my way with tragic force. And 46% people claim they're married too young. Now, that's, is that a problem? You marry too young, that's not a problem. It's what results from, from how they married when they were too young. They were immature. They hadn't learned how to love. They hadn't learned how to love each other and serve each other. They hadn't learned submission. And frankly, you know, even though 50% of marriages end in divorce, that doesn't mean the other 50% of marriages are happy. Some people are in these situations, but they don't want a divorce just for this reason or that reason. You know, but they're not happy. They're not flourishing because of love and submission, proper biblical love and submission. 
And I want to illustrate a little bit what the emptying of self-will, or at least the utilization of it for the good of another person, looks like. Um, I was listening to a message on Ruth this week, and it, and it kind of got me on this train of thought. Ruth chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Joshua judges Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. When we join together as a, in a marriage, and in this book of Ruth, there is a marriage, but this concept doesn't actually come from a marriage, because it's a principle that applies to more things than just marriage. Ruth chapter 1, verse, verse 14. So by this point, you know, if, if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But Orpah and Ruth married two sons of Naomi, and Naomi's husband and her two sons end up dying, and Naomi is, you know, quote-unquote stuck with these two daughters, these two Moabite daughters that her sons married. Um, and Naomi basically says, hey, life stinks, you guys can just go find other husbands, I'm too old for this, <clears throat> that kind of stuff. And she became bitter. Um, So in verse 14, it says, They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. And in that terminology, that means she was leaving. Okay, Naomi kicked him out, and Orpah said, Okay, bye, I'm going to go find a husband. Um, But Ruth clung to her. And that word clung is what I want to talk to you about. Clung is the word debak, or I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but debak or something like that in the Hebrew. The, it means to cling closely, to pursue, to overtake, to unite, to become one with the other person. And this is what Debak looked like. And she said in verse 15, Look, your si- well, this is Naomi. Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to after her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything puts but death parts you and me. In verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. So we see a, an illustration of what personal unity looks like. Oneness of mind, oneness of direction, oneness of being. And, you know, for the sake of time, I don't want to stick stick there, but that same word, debak, we find that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Can somebody read that for me, for us? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That word joined is debak, the same word of coming together, that unity of body, soul, and spirit. And in fact, in verse 23, or in verse 22, it says, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife so that they can be one flesh. 
when a man and woman come together in marriage, it's like that rib is planted right back into the man's chest cavity from which it, from which it was taken. They are of the same flesh, and in unity they become the same flesh once again. In Dubak, in being joined together, that cleaving that is done, that is inseparable. But what happened when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit? They were now shamed of each other. (laughs) They were shamed of their nakedness. They hid from each other. That started ripping and tearing away at that dubak, that unity, that sin, that divided their will. They're one in matrimony, but their wills became divided because of sin, which began killing their unity. It's the desire to be one that is, debak is the desire to be one that is so strong that nothing is going to put a wedge between you. Until your dying day, you will pursue and enjoy unity with the other one with which you have united yourself to. A devotion so deep as it is though you were not even your own person. Why we have the image of the rib taken out of man, but then coming back too, so that you are now one body, as though you were one body again. Our marriage unification, we need to take it more seriously. We, a lot of times when we are corresponding within our matrimony, we're just two different people, two different wills, two different pursuits, two completely different priorities. No, as a marriage, we also, before we get into marriage, we need, to, we need to understand what it is. It is unifying yourself together with that person. Your ways are now joined. Your wills are now joined so that you are to operate in unity together. And we, who are married, still need to understand this going forward from this day on. There's not a time when you get to give up and say, you know what, I'm just going to live the rest of my life for the sake of my own desires. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do my thing, whether my spouse approves of it or not. And often that kind of an attitude comes within a marriage that already isn't operating very properly. The husband isn't properly loving his wife. The wife isn't properly submitting to her husband, as we have been talking about. Um, and we just, we're separate. We have the debak because of sin, gets destroyed. The marriage has little vitality at that point. It starts to shrivel. But I have the right to do what I want, right? I'm my own person. No. And that's where the allegory of Christ comes into play. Christ and the church. The church is nothing apart from Christ. Christ came and died for the church. If there is no church, then Christ died for nothing. And if there is no Christ, then the church has nothing. It is nothing. When we marry somebody, now we are one with that somebody. And when we start going rogue, then we destroy that marriage, that unity that we're supposed to have. We make proper love and flourishing less likely. We make proper submission less likely. Why? Because just like Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect harmony before sin, after sin, that was all destroyed. 
And when we allow sin of self-will to creep into our marriage, we're made for harmony. We're made to operate as one unit. But when self-will, when the two start claiming their own wills and dividing it, well, that causes that relationship to crumble. And if you find yourself in a marriage that doesn't flourish, but rather it seems to wilt, chances are it has something to do with probably both of you claiming your own will for yourself. Claiming your own will for yourself. I mean, Jesus was so set on the will of the Father because they were one. They operated in one mind, one priority, one prerogative. That didn't mean it wasn't hard for Jesus. Jesus talked, we talked about that in the past, how this was this will of God for him to suffer and die for the sins of man was hard to accept and follow through. Jesus even said, I could ask the Father to remove this from me, but this is the reason I came. So I'm going to go through it. Marriage is hard. It's not easy to operate with one will. But if you don't, then you destroy the very thing, the very allegory that Christ came to bring us. You know, and when one of you starts going rogue and starts doing your own will, well, that leaves little choice for the other person. When you separate yourself from that person, start going rogue. You know, harmony takes two people, doesn't it? Sometimes we like to just blame the other person when we're the one who went rogue. We wanted our own thing. We didn't want to live in unity. We didn't want to, we didn't want to live in harmony. We wanted to marry that person because, yeah, we loved them. We didn't really know what that meant. But once we got married, well, we tried to live as two different people just like we had before and realized that this wasn't working out. I can't remember the percentage, but I read that most marriage, most divorces happen within the first five years of marriage. People realize, wait, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> and they abandon ship. before the ship barely even left the harbor. I didn't sign up for this. I can't live with this person like this 24-7. Well, that's what marriage is. You are one now. And it's supposed to be a delight, as we saw in Ephesians. It's supposed to be a delight for both. Because when the, the husband is leading and loving, like Christ leads and loves the church, sacrificially, through service, rather than the typical um, mindset towards leadership is, is I have this idea of where everything needs to go and you have to follow me. You have to do what I want. Rather than whatever I do, it has to be for the flourishing of my family. That's leadership. Everything I do is for the flourishing of my family. If, our, if, we're not, if that's not how we're parenting, if that's not how we are husbanding our wives, well, then it makes it very hard for our wife to willfully submit to us, which provides conflict. That's where a lot of this arguing comes from. Bitterness that divides. 
And since we husbands are the shepherds of our families, we're supposed to be the representatives of Christ who leads through service and gives life. If our family is not flourishing, chances are it's our fault. It's not the fault of the wife who isn't submitting properly. Chances are she's not submitting, biblically speaking, because we're not giving her anything to submit to. Now, she has her own responsibilities, and that's what we see that in Scripture. But I think that historically the church has harped on the submission of women when we should be harping on the love of the husbands who provide the atmosphere within women should be pleased to follow, to submit to their husbands. It should be a delight. Now... We all have our own pride, don't we? <laughs> so a husband can do everything in his power to provide flourishing for his wife, and she simply still may not follow because of pride. You know, and that's one of the reasons why Paul in, in, one, in one's place says, if you're married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever wants to divorce you, let them go. Because light can't mingle with darkness. You can't have a flourishing relationship if you have an unbeliever with a believer. Until that unbeliever comes to Christ... True flourishing can't really happen. So Paul says, if that person will not come to Christ and they want to divorce you, let them go. Paul teaches that. Because you can't operate like Christ in his church if you're married to an unbeliever. The reason why marriage exists why it was instituted way back in the book of Genesis is marriage itself was prophetic of Christ and his church. That would happen thousands of years later. That's why it was instituted. So if you, Jesus wouldn't even let bread distract him from the unity that he loved with his father. And we need to be careful about what we allow to distract us from uniting our will with our spouse. If there's something getting in the way, then there needs to be a conversation. Whether it's, I don't like how you take all, of the, all Sunday evening and you watch sports every single Sunday. <laughs> well, you guys need to talk about that and come to one mind. Or I don't like how you're always going off with your girlfriends and doing who knows what and spending all of our money. <laughs> well, you guys need to sit down and come to Her one man. mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not girlfriends, daughters. <laughs> yeah, daughters, whatever. <laughs> well, then there needs you need to come to unity. You can't just let that fester as a... Because it, it will produce a, a root of bitterness if it's left alone. Because that's, that's a disharmony. A disunity, a rift that threatens the debauch we're supposed to have. So if there's counseling that needs to be had because you can't come to one mind, then get it. Biblically, biblical counseling. But seek unity because Christ would not let anything distract him from the will of the Father. And we shouldn't let anything distract us from unity that we have with our spouse. It's worth discussing. It's worth, even if it, even if it involves a lot of tension and awkward moments <laughs> in that relationship, it's worth fleshing out 
And you know we're human, okay? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna present this like resolution never includes arguments because we're human beings. You're gonna argue, and sometimes we don't flesh these things out because we just don't want to argue. Arguing's a sin. Well, then you just continue to walk in bitterness and grow apart and apart and apart and apart and apart. Until one day you wake up and you're like, where, how in the world did we get here? Well, it's because you never sought unity where you had your own wills fighting against each other. Way back when, when you just didn't want to fight about it, you just want to talk about it. It's called lack of communication. Yeah, lack of communication. <clears throat> So we need to seek unity with each other. We need to seek unity with Christ. Just like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the allegory. This is all supposed to point us to how we're supposed to be with Christ. If there is something in your life that is hindering you from the white harvest, from the will of God, from unity in the Spirit, abiding in Christ... You need to deal with that. Don't just shove it under the rug like, no, I can, I can do that. I mean, I, God wants me to ha- be happy, so I can have this. Well, then something is interfering with your debacle with God. If there is something that you're holding back, I mean, the rich young ruler said, hey, I've kept all the commandments. What else am I lacking? What did Jesus say? He said, sell everything and give it to the poor then. He didn't want to do that. Therefore, he could never find unity with Christ because he was not willing to leave all behind, take up his cross, and follow him. He couldn't enjoy debauch with Christ. He couldn't cleave to Christ because there's always something coming in between. You can't just say you're saved and be saved. You can't just say, I believe and truly believe. You have to be one with Him. You have to be one with Him. You can't just say, I'm married, I'm married. Yeah, legally speaking, but do you have debauch with that spouse that you married? Do you have unity with that person? Or have you separated yourself from them in your will, in your soul? No, act like what you are. You're united in matrimony, so be united. If we're united with Christ, well then be united with Christ. Stop looking like somebody who isn't united with Christ. Stop thinking like somebody who's not united with Christ. Leave behind all the humanistic psychology behind all these problems that you're having. Unite yourself with Christ. And in your marriage, show that unity. 